Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 236 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, and I'm coming to you, as always, here from Austin, Texas. It is warm here. Spring has quickly accelerated into summer conditions, even though summer isn't quite here yet on the calendar. And it brings up an ever important topic in this area, but one that I think is important really in many areas across the U.S., which is this topic of how do you adapt to training in the heat? What are the things you need to think about? How do you adjust in order to get the most out of training during warm temperatures? Especially in the context of, of this moment right now where many are finally able to train for quote-unquote real races again starting this fall. And so you're going to have to train through the summer to do it but you have to do it in a way that optimizes all of that work, even though you have to adjust for the conditions. So we're going to talk about training in the heat and how to adapt to that. In this episode, I've got five tips for you to internalize and apply to your training so that you don't let the heat get you down. But before we get there, quick intro topic, I want to let you know that I will be opening up right after I post this episode, I'll be opening up two of our podcast training groups to new members. Two of our podcast training groups to new members. We've got our original podcast training group. We call them the Rogue Renegades. They just finished their seventh season of work heading into season eight. We will be training for races from late September through to early December in season eight. So any of the races from Berlin to CIM in California in December and everything in between Chicago, Boston, New York, London, whatever you might be doing in late September, October, November, and early December, those races will be on the calendar within that group. We've got a speed track, a half track, and a full marathon track. You can jump into the group. That group includes an amazing community of runners that are training just like you all across the globe, actually, and you get access to that community. And then I give you a weekly podcast with my co-coach, James Dodds, for that group that guides you along the way and gives you the schedule to follow as we go, plus answers all of your questions along the way. That program, again, will be opening up right today as I post this. That'll be June 2nd, and I'm going to leave it open just for half the month. So really through June 14th, we want to try to get you in in this window so that we can sync you up with the rest of the group and get you on track to train for those races coming up this fall. And then our second group, the She Squad, will be opening up. That's our all-women's virtual podcast group coached by Jen Howard Brown and Ruth England. That group will train you for any distance you want. And Ruth is doing a good job of customizing schedules as needed based on what your target races might be. Again, that group, just like the Renegades, is targeting races in the fall for this season of their work. So you'll be looking at races in a similar time frame. But that group is focused on women. It's a great community of women that are all supporting each other. Ruth tailors the schedule to the training principles that are important for women so they can get the most out of your body. And that group also dives into a book during each season. So there's a parallel book club to support the training and add additional insight. 
This past season, they worked through Kara Gouger's book, Strong, as well as Dina Castor's book, Let Your Mind Run, and were able to actually do Zoom calls with both of those amazing and inspiring women to support the training and give you inspiration beyond the training itself. And so a great group, great community of women. Both of those groups provide support not only from the accountability of us as coaches, but also the group and the community that's been built around the training. And I think you'll find that it's a really, really amazing, knowledgeable, caring group in both of those programs. So highly recommend you check it out if you're interested in virtual training with us. Again, you've got the Renegades and the She Squad. Both of those you can find on our website at roguerunning.com. I'll open up those signups today, June 2nd, and leave them open through June 14th. So if you want to get in, jump in quickly so that we can get you off and running with the group. If you have questions, feel free to reach out to me, chris at roguerunning.com. You've got a short window to sign up, so get on it. All right, that's our intro. Let's jump into my topic on getting the most out of your training in the heat because I know it can be really, really demoralizing especially in these early months as you're adapting to the temperatures because it just does all sorts of numbers on your paces. And I can tell you, I've got a lot of experience in training in the heat, having lived in Texas my entire life and different variations too. Dallas tends to be a little bit drier than Houston and Austin, still humid, but a little drier than Houston and Austin where I've also lived. But you will have in any given summer morning, In Texas, you'll have 70 plus degree heat in the mornings and then 70 plus oftentimes 85, 90% humidity as well to go with those temperatures. So you really have to be smart. It does require adjustments. If you don't make those adjustments, then you can end up sort of beating your head against the wall, trying to to try and train with the same methods that worked before. And unfortunately you have to make adjustments to the heat in order to get the most out of your training. And that's just the way it is. So the sooner you can embrace that concept and embrace these five tips that I'm going to give you the better, because if you just keep trying to do the same things over and over again, just like you would in the cooler winter months, then it will likely result in suboptimal work. So what are my five tips for heat training? The first one, first one, you have to be patient. You have to be patient. Part of being patient is letting your body adjust early on as these temperatures pick up. I could tell you really just over the last couple of weeks here in Austin, we've We've started to experience summer-like conditions prior to that. I would say we had a fairly mild early part of the spring, but then the summer came fast and furious, even though the calendar hasn't quite kicked over to the summer season yet. And suddenly we were having 70 plus degree temperatures, 80 plus degree humidity, and it was hitting us really hard, really quickly, which puts an absolute halt on a lot of your training and a lot of your workouts. And so the first thing is you just have to be patient because early season, it's going to take your body time to adjust. It's going to take your body time to adjust. And there's certainly a mental element to that. I think there's a mental element to embracing the transition into the summer months because you need to 
let go of expectations for a period of time. And it takes anywhere from I think three to five weeks to fully allow your body to adjust to the conditions. No matter what, you have to make adjustments to training in the heat, but you certainly have to make adjustments in that transition period while your body is acclimating because there are physical changes that are happening to allow your body to adapt to the heat. Your body is actually gradually beginning to carry more water because it needs more water because you're sweating more. So your body's adjusting to the level of baseline hydration that it needs. Your body is also adjusting to the conditions and learning to manage those conditions and continue to perform respiration and the other metabolic functions the way it needs to in order to get the results you want in training. So your body's making physical changes while you're making mental changes and you just have to let that happen which means during these first three to five weeks of the transition, whenever that starts for you, wherever you are, you have to really let go of expectations and embrace the transition, which, you know, which means being really kind to yourself during these three to five weeks. It is easy to look at the paces that you might be running in workouts, and we'll talk about paces as my point number two, but it's, it'll be easy to look at the paces that, are, that you're running at similar efforts and be depressed about it or sad about it because it suddenly will feel like you're getting slower or you're losing fitness when really it's just the heat kicking in and your body adjusting to that. So you have to let go of expectations. I think this is a good time to, to not look at your watch, to not pay attention to your watch, to maybe hit the start button and the finish button, maybe let it upload to Strava if you're that type of person, but really not pay attention to the output on the watch, especially on those easy runs, but certainly during workouts as well, because everything will be affected by these conditions, especially during this acclimation period. Because what's happening is you're fighting physics and chemistry. You're fighting physics and chemistry. Heat is a form of friction for chemical reactions and it does all sorts of things to what your body's trying to do during respiration and during the other metabolic processes. It does all sorts of things. It wreaks all sorts of havoc havoc to disrupt those processes and not let them run as efficiently as they would during cooler temperatures. And you just have to recognize that, embrace that. Be patient and be kind to yourself, especially during the transition. But it really applies throughout the summer as well because you're not going to be able to hit the same paces you might hit in the wintertime because of, again, physics and chemistry are going to get in the way. That doesn't mean you can't have as meaningful of training. It just means that you have to adjust your expectations and your metrics by which you measure yourself during these summer months because that's just a part of the process. So tip number one, be patient, especially early as your body acclimates. Give yourself that three to five week window to adapt to the new conditions and be extremely patient during that time, but be certainly patient throughout the summer with yourself because it's simply a fact that physics and chemistry are going to get in the way of you being able to run as fast as you might be able to run 
on easy runs and during workouts during the summer versus the winter. So point number one, be patient. Point number two, slow down. Point number two, slow down. I've talked about it before on this podcast, but effort is really what matters when you're trying to get a training result. Your effort is really what matters when you're trying to get a training result. So it's entirely possible for you to run very different paces in different conditions and have the effort be equivalent and the training result be equivalent. So just to give you an example, for me, my easy runs during the winter months will routinely hover around eight minute miles for easy runs. Easy conversational pace. Uh, That's my Monday run pace quite often. But during the summer, that adjusts upward naturally, not without me having to think about it or make adjustments. Just if I go out and run a similar effort during the summer months, then my Monday runs will easily average more like 8.30, sometimes even a little slower, 8.40. Effort's the same. I can have a conversation on both of those runs. I can finish both of those runs feeling good and feeling like I got the right amount of work in on those Monday runs. But the pace is 30 to 40 seconds different per mile simply because of the conditions. Is, is one run better than the other because the pace is faster? No, no. In, those, in my mind, those runs are equivalent. They're similar effort, but different paces simply because of the condition, simply because of the heat and humidity that we face here in this part of the world. And you have to recognize that and simply embrace that concept because it will affect your easy runs and it will affect your workout paces and you have to simply adjust. Oftentimes by 20 to up to potentially 40 seconds per mile across the board, you'll have equivalent effort at slower paces in the heat and you'll be able to get an equivalent training benefit. That is critical to understand because I often see runners and I get it. I get the the ego involved that are get very discouraged by the paces they see on their watch on a summer run or the paces they might see on an interval during a summer workout because they can't hit the same paces that they hit during the winter months. And suddenly they're thinking, I must have lost fitness. I'm getting slower. Something's wrong with me. Or perhaps even worse in many cases, they'll stretch themselves to hit those old paces. So pressing the effort even higher to hit similar paces as they will in the winter months. And that will cause them to actually be training in the wrong aerobic zone and potentially extending themselves too much, which can lead to burnout or injury. So on one hand, people end up sad and and a little bit ego hurt because they're thinking they're losing fitness or somehow getting slower during these summer months. And on the other hand, they're perhaps stretching themselves too much to try to hit old paces and then therefore actually getting a negative training benefit. They're not getting the training benefit they're intended to, and they might actually be putting themselves in danger for injury. So 
you have to let go of all of that. It doesn't matter what the watch says if the effort is right. And in the heat and in the humidity, you have to adjust the effort in order to get the same training benefit. Paces are slower, but that doesn't mean the work isn't the same, isn't equivalent, and isn't building you to whatever goal you might be targeting in the fall. There are heat and humidity and dew point calculators that you can find online, and certainly the science of this is much more nuanced. But just to give you a rule of thumb that I like to use that's a crude rule of thumb, but I think generally hits the mark pretty closely, is that for every five degree increase in temperature above 55 for the start of your run, you have to add 10 seconds per mile to whatever pace you're trying to run in order to to get equivalent effort. Again, it's a rule of thumb. It's not necessarily perfect and certainly there are different heat and humidity matrices that are going to cause that to might to maybe be a little bit different than what I'm telling you. But just to give you a very rough rule of thumb that I think closely approximates what you might see in heat is that for every five degrees north of 55 for the start of your run or your race, you have to adjust by 10 seconds per mile, which means that if it's 75 degrees at the start of your run, that's 20 seconds north of 55 degrees. And that means you have to adjust by 40 seconds per mile equivalent pace, whether that be an easy run pace or whether that be a race pace. Recently had one of the Renegades athletes race in warm conditions and he faced 70 to 75 degree temperatures during that race. And I gave him the adjustment that I just described and it ended up being pretty close to dead on to what he needed to do in order to get an equivalent effort versus his goal. And unfortunately, that's just the reality when you're fighting against heat and therefore physics and chemistry. So you have to slow down and that comes across the board. Adjust your paces across the board depending on those conditions. Now the challenge of this is that when you slow down, it requires not only for you to set your ego aside so that you can embrace those slower paces in order to get equivalent training benefit, but it also requires a degree of faith that then when we get to cooler temperatures again, you're going to be able to adjust down and perhaps race at a pace that's faster than what you've been training at. This happens to me often for athletes that are doing early fall races Anything in the late September to early October timeframe like Chicago or Boston this year or Twin Cities, all of those races typically fall in early October, at least Chicago and Twin Cities does. And so when we're training through the Texas summer, oftentimes we're doing our hardest workouts, our most intense work in late August, early September when it's still warm here. And you're not able in those conditions to run your target race pace because it's simply too warm. And so sometimes you're doing a final race prep long run in August or early September at a pace that's a little bit slower, sometimes 20, 30 seconds slower per mile than what you might target on race day. And then on race day, you have to go and actually take a leap of faith that in cooler conditions, you're going to be able to hold an equivalent effort at a faster pace. That leap of faith is difficult for many people 
because you, if you ha- you know it's hard when you haven't seen it in practice or felt it directly in practice it's hard to have that leap of faith and believe that training in the right way at slower paces is going to lead you to be able to race at faster paces when the conditions are cooler but i've seen it time and time again at coaching athletes through the texas summer that they're able to show up on a cooler day and go get it done in the cooler conditions if they have managed the heat the right way and accepted those slower paces and embraced those slower paces regardless of what the ego tells us or regardless of how we feel about whatever's posted on Strava. So let go of your expectations on paces. Make adjustments. Again, oftentimes anywhere from 20 to 40 seconds per mile slower than your target paces across the board in order to end up with the equivalent training effort to go get your goals. You have to do it. You have to make those adjustments. And if you don't, you'll end up probably training too hard, overextending your effort, and potentially in a place where you might be flirting with injury because you're doing too much or overheating or heat exhaustion or something like that. So embrace it, slow down, and know that if you just embrace slowing down, you'll still be running at the right efforts and you'll be able to get your goal if you have a little bit of faith. So that's point number two. Slow down, simply embrace the fact that you have to slow down in the heat in order to get similar results. Point number three. Point number three. And this will vary a little bit depending on the humidity associated with your location. But number three is wear as little as possible. Or as little as possible. One thing I love about training in the summer heat, even though it can be grueling here in Texas, is the fact that it really simplifies your wardrobe decisions. I I never have to look at the weather. I can just simply throw on the same shorts and t-shirt, which I'll usually remove for the run, and go do it. There's no thinking about it like in the winter where you have to think about the wind and potential precipitation and temperatures and whether I need, you know, a hat, gloves, beanie, you know, all the different winter accessories in order to stay warm during the winter months. I don't have to worry about any of that in the summer. And so it simplifies my daily run, which I really enjoy. But in order to get the most benefit from that, you need to wear as little as possible. In the humid conditions of Texas, where basically no technical fabric can really handle our humid conditions, And that typically means going without a shirt, whether you're male or female, in order to be most comfortable because our skin is going to be better than wearing some sort of technical fabric, which tends to, in humid conditions, just soak up all of that water. Unfortunately, in humid conditions, again, science doesn't work. The evaporative cooling process, which is supposed to help cool us through sweat evaporating from the surface of our skin and therefore creating an evaporative cooling effect that doesn't work in human conditions. So instead, the water just sits on you. And then it just creates this almost blanket of, of fluid over your skin that feels very, very oppressive. And in my experience, there's really no technical fabric that can win in humid conditions like we have here in Texas. So to the extent that you can, exposing as much skin as possible is going to be your best bet, which means shirtless for men 
and perhaps only going with the sports bra for women. I, and I know that there's a lot of stigma about that and you may not feel comfortable. And I totally understand that. Got to give a shout out here to our friends in Austin here, the sports, the sports bra squad. They are a group of primarily women, but some guys show up as well that really promote running in whatever you want in the summer, whatever is coolest for you and being okay just rolling out in a sports bra or without your shirt if you're a guy and not worrying about what anybody thinks or what you might think about your own body and whether or not it's ready to be revealed in that way. And so really shout out to Jesse and Vanessa and Teresa for promoting positive body image through that group here in Austin. They've got their first run coming up on June 26th. If you want to check it out, they usually do one per month through the summer months, but it's great because you can show up, see all body types rocking the sports bras and going shirtless and being proud of it, regardless of how you might think about yourself. So don't be afraid to show some skin. Now in drier conditions and less humid conditions, we can, our technical fabrics tend to work okay because evaporative cooling can actually work in those drier environments. And so you might be okay with just wearing a nice technical fabric in those situations. Or for those that aren't comfortable in humid conditions, I do highly recommend the craft base layers because they're the only technical fabric that I've seen that can that can hang in our humid conditions. But Kraft has some super light base layer tanks, kind of like sleeveless tanks for men and women. And you can find those on the, the Kraft website. I'll link to them also in the show notes. That is the lightest tank I've experienced. I was wearing it a couple of summers ago when I was training for my 50 miler because I couldn't wear or I couldn't go shirtless with the hydration pack. And so I needed something underneath that pack in heat and humid conditions. And so I found that that craft super light base layer tank was the best way to go for me. It still kept me pretty cool, even though it was hot and humid. And so that's an option for those that aren't comfortable bearing their skin. But again, highly recommend you be proud of what you got, regardless of what you think about yourself and just be comfortable because it is it is tough in hot and humid conditions to wear any sort of technical fabric. It just soaks it up like a wet blanket and then feels like you're running under a wet blanket, which isn't any fun. So point number three, wear as little as possible and let your body's cooling mechanisms go to work. So that's number three. Number four, dial in your hydration. Dial in your hydration. Hydration is trickier in the summer months. And in particular, I'm constantly reminded that I have to amp up my electrolyte electrolyte intake during the summer months. And I have found personally that if I focus on my daily hydration outside of my workouts and my runs, then that is the most effective way to feel good on my workouts and runs. Certainly, I'm hydrating on those runs. I'll talk about that in a second. But you also really have to amp up your emphasis on daily hydration throughout the day, those moments in between runs and workouts, so that you're going into those runs with your full 
tanks ready to go because, man, I'm telling you, heat and humidity, you sweat more, you need more water on board. Personally, I find that my baseline weight in the summer goes up by about five pounds, not because I've gained any weight, but simply because my body is carrying five pounds more of water weight to be prepared for these hot, humid summer runs. And that's just a natural thing that might happen to you because your body needs to carry more water to cool itself during these summer runs. So that means you have to dial up your hydration. Again, that includes just overall water intake as well as electrolyte intake. When I think about it for daily hydration outside of runs, then that typically means you should be consuming anywhere from three to four liters of water, depending on the person, three to four liters of water per day with, I recommend about a third of that hydration coming with electrolytes, if not more. And so personally, I will do twice a day servings of some sort of electrolyte supplement, whether that be noon, scratch, got a new product I like called Element, L-M-N-T, or Light Switch, which is a product I also recommend from the Human Performance Project. I need something like that. I'll do a serving in the morning, serving in the afternoon with water to supplement my daily hydration. And then I'll be trying to get anywhere from three to four liters total of water outside of exercise. So that's just the daily hydration part. And then when it comes to exercise itself, you want to make sure you're fueling properly with fluids and electrolytes during those runs so that you're not getting in too big of a hole because of them. And so what does that look like? Again, it's going to vary for everyone. Everybody has different sweat rates. I can tell you having researched this for myself, for a for a male about my size, then we tend to lose about two pounds per hour in warm, humid conditions. That's 32 ounces of fluid per hour lost. And in my experience, you want to be replacing about 80%, 80% of that, particularly on longer runs. So for me, that means replacing about 25 ounces per hour on my runs, which might sound like a lot to you. That's about, I have a 20 ounce handheld that I carry. And so that's about one and a quarter handheld that I have to go through each hour in order to make sure I'm getting the right fluid replacement. Again, you don't have to replace all the fluid, but you do want to replace a big portion of it, about 80%. And so you want to know what is my personal sweat rate so that you can calibrate how much hydration you're taking in to support that. And so I recommend doing a sweat test in in order to determine that. A sweat test is really simple. It's a really simple process to go through. What you're going to do is you're going to go on a one-hour run and you're going to weigh yourself before without clothes just to keep it clean. Go for your run for an hour. Don't take any fluids on that one-hour run. Come back and weigh yourself again after drying off and taking off your clothes again so we don't mess with the calculations. And the difference in that pre and post weight in pounds multiplied times 16 ounces is your hourly sweat rate. So if you're losing one pound an hour, that's 16 ounces of fluid per hour that you lose. Again, you want to replace about 80% of that. 
Two pounds is 32, as I said, which means you're replacing about 25 ounces per hour. Three pounds is 48 ounces. And again, you can do the math. That's about 38 ounces per hour that you have to consume in order to keep up, especially on those longer runs. And this is, again, separate from the the daily hydration that I just mentioned, but you're replacing fluids during those runs. I find that easiest to do if you're carrying hydration with you, either through a handheld, some sort of waist belt, or potentially a hydration pack in order to stay on top of it. And then if you just take little sips the whole time, and once you get into a rhythm of it, you really don't even have to think about it that much. And then you'll be able to stay on top of it throughout your run versus, you know, trying to really load up before or after to catch up. So find out your sweat rate, then plan to replace about 80% of that per hour. I also recommend in the summer months, especially if you struggle with hydration and heat to consider supplementing with electrolytes on the run as well. For me, that looks like on my longer runs during the summer, I will supplement with salt pills. So I'll do one serving of salt pills before the run and then one every hour of the run in order to stay ahead of electrolytes. But for some, you may need more than that. For some, you may need less. You have to play with the formula that works for you. But those electrolytes allow you to absorb the water that you're taking in. Obviously, you can also consume electrolytes within the fluid itself by putting noon scratch, osmo, elements, whatever it may be into that hydration as you go. And so that's also another way to do it versus the salt pills. But you just got to find the formula that works for you in order to make it all work. But make sure you're on top of your daily hydration with electrolytes and you're working through what you might need for hydration during those runs, especially the longer runs, and then planning your electrolyte supplementation on those longer summer runs as well. Those are the things you have to dial in. Again, for all of us, it's a little bit different. I know I have a friend whose sweat rate is three times mine, so he's losing six pounds per hour in fluid to my two which is almost unfathomable, but whenever we go for a summer run, he is always carrying and supplementing his hydration during the run, regardless of how long we go out. And and that's just the nature of things for him, his genetics. And so you want to figure out what that looks like for you and then make a plan accordingly to make sure you're on top of daily hydration as well as on top of electrolytes and hydration during the run. I find it's helpful to use urine as a little bit of a guide. I know this sounds disgusting, but during the day, I want to see a faintly yellow urine color when I go to the bathroom. And then post-run, I want to try to get back to that faint yellow as quickly as possible after the run so that my body can kickstart recovery. Because when you're at that faint level, faint yellow level, that means that you might be in balance. If your pee is too yellow, then that means obviously you're not taking in enough fluid overall. If it's too clear, then that typically means we're low on electrolytes and the body is going straight through to the bloodstream. It's not able to pass into cells for use because you don't have the proper electrolytes for osmosis. 
and then it just goes right to the bloodstream again, flushes out through the kidneys and is gone. And so when you get really clear urine or when you're having to urinate frequently and it's clear, then that's a sign that you need more electrolytes so that you can actually absorb the fluid that you're taking in. And so you using urine as a guide, again, it's not a perfect science to use urine color, but it is a thing that you can use as a rule of thumb to try to see if you're in the right place. Again, you don't want it to be too yellow. That means not enough hydration overall. And you don't want it too clear because that means not enough electrolytes. You want it just faintly yellow. And then you've got it dialed in perfectly. That's what you're looking for throughout the day. And then you want to get back to that place as quickly as you can post long run so that you're staying on top of things after run to help with recovery. So that's point number four is adjust and dial in your hydration to the conditions. For me, I could go into autopilot during the winter months on this and not have to think about it all too much. But then in the summer months, I have to stay on top of it because it will affect how you feel. And oftentimes when someone isn't dialed in on hydration, they'll end up feeling run down a lot. They'll feel like everything's too hard, even beyond what you would expect in heat and humid conditions. And, and, and training just becomes a drag. Oftentimes there's sort of a mental lapse as well because your, your whole body is sort of fighting itself to stay engaged in the training. So amp up that hydration, amp up that electrolyte supplementation, especially during the day and play with the formula and the products that work for you in order to make it all work. So that's number four, dial in your hydration. Number five, the last point I'm going to make goes back to a more mental side of this equation, which is that you need to stay positive. You need to stay positive. It's easy to wake up and be frustrated to go out for another run in warm and humid conditions. It's, it's easy. It's easy to talk about it. It's easy to, to complain or whine about it. It is easy, and I, and I don't fault anyone because it is difficult. I get it. But you need to, as best you can, stay positive and embrace the conditions. Embrace the suck, as we sometimes say around here, because... It will make you stronger. There's some scientific evidence that heat training can mimic altitude effects. It's not one for one or perfectly apples to apples, but it does give you an amped training effect if you're managing paces the right way. So there's the upside to that. There's also the upside, as I mentioned earlier, to the fact that it really simplifies your wardrobe and how you think about preparing for a run. So there are positives And so I want to encourage you to not let yourself dwell on it, to talk about it too much, and to focus on the positive, to smile it, to smile instead, to embrace the suck. Because if you can do that, and if you can flip the the script in your head, then it's going to be an overall more enjoyable experience. And I think overall, you're going to be able to maximize your training more because you're in the right frame of mind. So stay positive. And that can mean potentially using some words of affirmation, develop a heat mantra, so to speak, that's going to help you work through those moments where you're like, oh no, not again. Look at that humidity. And instead flip that kind of sentiment to something like the heat makes me stronger or 
I will beat the heat, whatever it may be. Again, and always mantras always have to be personal, so I'm always hesitant to put examples out there because they don't mean anything to you necessarily. But figure out what your heat mantra is. What's your heat mantra that's going to take that negative voice in your head that's frustrated by these challenging conditions and it's going to turn it into something that will emphasize the fact that it will make you stronger, that you'll be a better athlete, a better runner because of it, because you worked through these tough conditions. So stay positive and then flip the script so that you turn this challenge into something that emphasizes the benefits that will give you the opportunities it creates for you to go smash your goals when we get to cooler weather in the fall. So that's point number five. Stay positive. Flip the script. That's it. Those are the five things. Number one, be patient. Let your body adapt over these initial weeks of these summer conditions. Two, slow down and recognize that it's okay. If you slow down, you'll still be in the right effort zone, which will give you the training benefits you need to smash your goals. Number three, wear as little as possible so that you can beat the heat as best you can. Number four, dial in your hydration. It's important in warm and humid conditions to make adjustments during the summer months in order to train your best. And so find out what those adjustments need to be for you. Number five, stay positive and create that positive script in your head. This is an opportunity and you will make the most of it. So with that, we'll wrap this episode and remind you, of course, that our training groups for both the Renegades and the She Squad will be open right after I post this. I will post those links in the show notes, but you can also find them at our website, roguerunning.com. You can also follow us on social media at Rogue Running on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Until next week, we will talk to you then.